You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome back, folks, here on Big Blue View as we are getting so close to the NFL Draft. As you're listening today on Thursday, we are officially one week away from the 2021 NFL Draft as the New York Giants will be selecting at 11th overall. In order to prepare, we sat down and built our own, our very own big board off the thoughts and analysis of the analysts part of Big Blue View. Folks, before we get into today's episode covering that big board, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Also head to BigBlueView.com for more Giants news and analysis. I am Joe DeLeon, joined by Nick Filato and Chris Flum. So the big board I am referencing, we put together, and today we're going to be discussing offensive guys. This article is going to be coming out sometime next week, likely early on in the week, so you can take a look at the big board, how things stacked out. The way that we lined it up, we had some first round, first round guys going all the way down to fourth round guys, various categories that we have within here. In today's episode, we're going to go over some of the thoughts that we had while we put this together. Mark Schofield was also a part of it, but he is not here for today's episode. So guys, let's start off with the quarterbacks, as this is probably the least eventful group, especially because we just let Mark <laughs> handle this position group because that is his forte, his specialty. We don't even really need to go through the ordering or anything specific with this one as we're going to do with the other position groups. But the thing that's worth noting is that Mark was highly reluctant to really go past Mac Jones. And then after thinking it over, he threw in Kellen Mond, Davis Mills, Kyle Trask, Jamie Newman, and that was pretty much it. So I, th- I think we can all agree here that the quarterback class uh, in, in this year's NFL draft isn't exactly very good on the back end there's a lot of really good talent at the top but as we start to push towards the second and third round like we don't even have a third rounder in this group there's not really a lot of good options no it doesn't really appear that way joe obviously you have the transcendent quote-unquote talent and trevor lawrence and then there's a lot of debate on who that actual second quarterback would be. Is it Justin Fields from Ohio State, Zach Wilson from BYU, Mac Jones from Alabama? It seems like the Jets presume that it's Zach Wilson from BYU. And then, I mean, there's a lot of rumors that at three, the San Francisco 49ers are really all in on Mac Jones, but we'll find that out next Thursday. But it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, the outside of these top five quarterbacks and legit all five of them could go for the giants, which would be ideal for the New York giants. That would be absolutely excellent. But outside of those five, it's uh, it's kind of a crapshoot between Kellen Mond, Kyle Trask and Davis Mills. 
Yeah, I actually wasn't surprised to kind of see the look of pain almost on Mark's face when he had to, <laughs> when we almost twisted his arm into throwing out his like second and fourth round quarterbacks. This is a very top heavy quarterback draft class. And you know, part of that could just be the position where, you know, if you've got a quarterback who is able to be a competent starter, he's probably going to be a first rounder and probably a high first rounder. Right. And, and that's where things start to get a little bit sticky. I feel you start to get past those guys that are competent starters or maybe a year away from being a really talented starter, guys with high upside. There's not really anybody in the middle here where we can say, okay, maybe a team can grab him in the second or third round. They can develop him. He can eventually turn into maybe a starter for for this team. There's no, not even really a, a Jalen Hurts this season. I, I feel like after we kind of get through that mix of Kellamon, Davis Mills, Kyle Trask, and those guys aren't really, those aren't really clear-cut, easy sells in the second round. Davis Mills has turned into the Davis Webb of this group where he suddenly has come out of nowhere and he's been talked about as being talented but needs to be in the right situation. So not really a ton of movement, not really a lot to go off here uh, for this quarterback group. Uh, it doesn't really look like it. It's not the uh, sexiest of groups. And there are a couple other positions I think we could say uh, a similar thing about on the offensive uh, side of the ball. Yeah, and speaking of other positions, let's get into one that has a little bit more importance for the New York Giants. Now, they might not necessarily need an offensive tackle, but there are guys that we grouped in here as offensive tackles that could very well end up playing guard in the NFL or are likely to play guard in the NFL. We ended up topping off in the top 10 category with Penny Sewell. And then first rounders that stood out to us, Rashawn Slater, somebody who could play guard, Christian Darasaw from Virginia Tech, and then Tevin Jenkins. And we also had in our first second category, Liam Eikenberg and Dylan Radon. So separate from those guys that I mentioned, what were your guys' thoughts on, on how things stacked up when we put together this tackle list? For me, I mean, I, I'm, I'm in love with players like Penny Sewell and Rashawn Slater for the New York Giants at the 11th selection. I don't know if they're going to go in that direction after investing two top 100 picks into their offensive tackle last year in 2020. So I just I, I can see the Bama guys being around, the Bama wide receivers that we'll talk about a little bit later, and the Giants maybe going in that direction. But just from a pure talent standpoint, Penny Sewell, he's not necessarily technically proficient as of right now, but the upside of somebody who's 330-plus pounds who can move like that is just through the roof, skyrocketed. Would love that kind of addition. And then Rashawn Slater is just so light on his feet, and he could probably play all five positions on the offensive line. It's a projection because he hadn't seen him at center or guard. But – I would absolutely love either of those two. And then you get to the Tevin Jenkins, Christian Darisol debate. Uh, Chris, do you want to jump in here too? I mean, for me with Christian Darisol, I wish he finished reps through more consistently, I guess you could say, through the entirety of the rep. I feel like there were times where he was a little bit more passive, but somebody that big who can move the way he can move, I mean, you have to put him in that first round range. Whereas Tevin Jenkins, maybe not as fluid as someone like Christian Darisol, but just an absolute man in terms of I'm just going to finish reps and I'm going to use my brute upper body strength to punish you. Now, is that something that's going to translate as well to the NFL? I think that can be debated, but I wanted to get your take on what you thought of those two specifically uh, where we had them in the first round. Yeah. uh, We had them pretty much neck and neck, you know, right together. And I think it really does come down to what you are looking for in an offensive lineman. Yeah. I like the way you characterize them. Christian Darisaw, he moves just he is just a very smooth mover. Mm-hmm. I think of all of the 
lineman I have watched, he handled speed better than anyone else. He never looked panicked and it didn't matter who he was going up against. And like you said, Tevin Jenkins, he is just an absolute mauler out there at offensive tackle. So I think if you are looking for a guy to have that hard nosed physical presence, Tevin Jenkins, your man. But if you want somebody who could, you know, hang out there on an, on the edge and handle an NFL speed rusher, then I would probably have to go with Christian Derrissaw. Now, if you could get both of those guys into one offensive tackle, that would be ideal. But uh, unless the NFL has some technology we don't know about, that's <laughs> probably not going to happen. <laughs> And for our, our day two group, Jalen Mayfield, Samuel Cosme, and then I made a really hard push for Spencer Brown. Didn't really require much of a fight, but I, I came out swinging saying like, hey, we got to put Spencer Brown in this in this second round spot because of how fantastic of an athlete he is. I think ultimately that is going to push him high into the conversation because of the way that he tested for a player of his size, referring to the Northern Iowa offensive tackle there was a, a stopping point, a little bit of discourse, and I think there was the first point of discourse when we were putting this together, was when we were talking about Alex Leatherwood, and we, and we all kind of agreed that Leatherwood belongs in the tackle conversation, but he could be end up playing guard in the NFL, and I was the one who immediately pitched, I don't really like Leatherwood at tackle. I think that if he's going to end up having an opportunity to play, it's going to have to be inside. And I did agree with what your sentiment was, was Nick, when we were talking about this, because it seems like it is super easy to just go, all right, this guy's not that great of a tackle. Maybe he can play guard. I, I just, I think he's a very tricky prospect to truly get a handle of for somebody who was previously considered to be a, a top 15 pick um, in last year's class or even a first round pick in last year's class. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's curious because when he faces those wide rushers, he allows them to get to his outside shoulder so quickly. He opens his hips probably before he really should. He's not that great on an Island against those wide rushers. And so many guys, I mean, we've seen this with Andrew Thomas. He had issues with this earlier in the season where they commit up the arc because they don't want to get beat by that speed. And what does that open up that inside counter move an inside spin or whatever, whatever, what have you, I guess you could say. So with Alex Leatherwood, I mean, I saw that at the college level. And I think that that's going to be somewhat problematic in the NFL as well. He needs to do better with that. But even before we uh, even got to them, we didn't necessarily discuss Liam Eikenberg and Dillard Dunn's either, um, who we have as the first to second in that kind of tier. For, for me personally, if we just want to talk about those guys, I, I Chris, I, back me up here or don't back me up here. Do you believe Dylan Redunds might be a, somebody who can actually be classified in that offensive guard situation as well? I didn't love his tape. He played at an FCS school, North Dakota State, and uh, he didn't dominate. Like you want to see those guys dominate if you're going to be a first round guy. And he was he was solid. He was he was okay, but you never really see him just overpower or just dominate a smaller level of competition, which is you know that poses a problem for me. I want to see a little bit more of a uh, a dominating force out there, I guess you could say. And I personally had I pushed for Liam Eikenberg over him because I felt like Liam Eikenberg is not the sexiest offensive lineman, but he's a technician. He's never really gets beat. He's just always in the right position, knows how to execute his angles, knows how to use his hands, handle counters, very patient. So what did you think about Dylan Redunds, the Liam, uh, Liam Eikenberg there, Chris? Yeah, I think Redunds is a guy you, you give him a chance at tackle. Uh, he probably, I think does get drafted in that we'll call it 28 to 40 range, which I, yeah, 25 to 40. That's kind of our first second range. Uh, I think that's about where he goes. I think uh, the team that drafts him does give him the chance 
to play a tackle because I think he can handle it athletically. Yeah, yeah he didn't dominate guys at, at, at the FCS level, but yeah, I, I think he can at least hang out there as a tackle in the NFL. And if he can't, then then you talk about moving him inside and he'll probably be a very athletic guard, probably a really good guard in a, in a zone blocking scheme. And so, Eichenberg, I think you hit the nail on the head there. He is just a very solid player. He doesn't get beat. He doesn't get out of p- position. He He's ne- never going to wow you, but I actually really like your comp form when we were putting the board together as uh, a Brian Bulaga type player. And you know that's a guy where, yeah, he's not exciting, but he just shows up week in, week out, and gives you a level of play you can win with. So before we move on to the interior guys, just hitting on the fourth rounders, some notable names that I wanted to point out that, that snuck their way in there. Donta Smith from Eastern Carolina, who I think could have a trajectory, not a trajectory, but the talent. Uh, not, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. He reminds me a little bit of Matt Parrott in terms of the way that he's built and, and what we saw from him at the Senior Bowl. And he's got the length. He moves pretty well for a player of his size. And then another player with high upside, uh, James Hudson from Cincinnati. So that was two of the more notable names that catch my eye looking at the list that made their way into the fourth round. They're a little bit more developmental, um, have some upside if they're able to hit on that. Yes. Yeah. And another name that was in there is Stone Forsyth, who's kind of been the late riser in the draft community on Twitter. And uh, I haven't seen his 2020 film. I haven't studied his 2020 film, but I, what I saw from him in 2019 wasn't something that would lead me to be, oh, this guy's going to be a early second round pick, which some people are actually talking about him. But when you're six foot eight, you can bend and you can move. You're going to attract a lot of NFL eyeballs. And that's what Stone Forsyth is. Yeah. And you know, fourth round, that's the beginning of a day three. Yeah. You know, that I think is when you start to look at those guys who, you know, they might have a few too many warts to go on those really important uh, day one or day two picks, but you know, fourth round, you can take your, you can take a swing at that kind of player then. Yeah, certainly. And, that, and that's why we ended up having a couple guys that were more on the developmental side. So for the interior guys, we did not include anybody that was tackle slash guard this was anybody that was pretty clear cut that they were going to be playing inside and we have a a relatively scarce group from first round first to second and then also second round categories Elijah Vera Tucker being the one at the top first to second that we included Creed Humphrey and Landon Dickerson Humphrey the center from Oklahoma Landon Dickerson the center from Alabama and then the only second round interior player that we ended up with was Wyatt Davis yeah, and I honestly, there's a lot of guys in that third round area that I don't feel like are that far off from a player like Wyatt Davis. But the talk first about these first round and the first and second round guys, Elijah Barrett Tucker, he's somebody who we have him at the interior. He played there for USC, but in 2020, he played tackle and he played tackle really damn well. So he's definitely somebody that should be a first round pick. I'm imagining that he will be. And as for Creed Humphrey and Landon Dickerson, I think Landon Dickerson would be a first round pick if it wasn't for the extensive injury history. He's the center from Alabama. As for Humphrey, I mean, he's been an absolute stud since that Oklahoma offensive line was the best 
offensive line in college football. I think he could be a sneaky person to sneak into the first round, but he may fall into the second round. I think some team, maybe the Giants, would be interested in adding somebody like Creed Humphrey. And then there's Wyatt Davis, man. I mean, Wyatt Davis is just uh, somebody who's going to want to run through your face, somebody who's going to bring power, somebody who operated in a lot in his own scheme, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he can't play power gap. And uh, we know power gap is the predominant rushing technique, or you should, I could say predominant Russian offense that Jason Garrett utilizes. At least that's what he did in 2020. Yeah, with, with Vera Tucker, Creed Humphrey, Landon Dickerson, I, I think all of those guys, Vera Tucker definitely, he's a first rounder. There, I don't think there's a question about that. Creed Humphrey, I think he definitely could sneak into the first round just based on how how much good tape he has. And he also tested surprisingly well at Oklahoma's Pro Day. Like I was actually surprised when I looked at his spider chart. It took up most of the circle there. It, it almost looked like a, a bigger Weston Richburg and Landon Dickerson again. Yeah. He would probably be a first rounder if he, had, if he didn't have that injury history, but he's a guy, he's got versatility. He's got a lot of good tape. You know, Wyatt Davis. I think the only reason he really fell to the second round on our board is because he's a guard only prospect. And those guys, it's, it's tough to justify a guard only player much higher than that. But he def- definitely has scheme versatility and diversity for me. He, you could throw him in, into any blocking scheme, and he's going to execute. Hitting into our third round group and also our fourth round group, fourth round was a little thin. We only had three guys, Deonta Brown, David Moore, and Sidarius Hutcherson. But our third round group, there's actually a couple guys in here that, that stand out to me that I think could end up being starters in the NFL for a consistent amount of time and some that might even be able to plug in and play right away. I I talked a ton about how I'm a big fan of Notre Dame's Aaron Banks, who was highly graded by PFF as the the highest graded interior offensive lineman. The guy's just consistent. I I think that Aaron Banks is going to end up plugging in and playing right away, and he might be one of the most ready-to-play guys just because of what he was able to do at Notre Dame and being so well-coached. He doesn't necessarily have the highest ceiling, but he's just a really, really consistent guard that's not really going to make a a whole lot of mistakes. We also threw in here Quinn Miners, the darling of the the Senior Bowl, the Wisconsin Whitewater Center, who someone's going to take a shot on. Um, Somebody that's looking for a a developmental center, somebody that's a little bit, maybe a little bit more risky, but looked really good against the competition at the Senior Bowl. He definitely comes into play here. And then someone else I think is a, a fun prospect to just discuss is Ben Cleveland. Folks, if you haven't seen Ben Cleveland before, go to his Instagram account. The dude is not built the way that he should be for a guy of his size. I think he's over 350, somewhere in that range. The guy is barely carrying any fat on his body for for someone of his size. The guy is just a a freak. I don't know if I can speak too much on to what he's going to do as a pro, but physically he's one of the rare specimens that we have in this draft class that are just physically gifted. Yes, very physically gifted. I mean, he's definitely somebody that's going to be moving bodies on Sunday. And I actually like a large cluster of the players who are in this third round range. Hopefully the Giants might end up going in this direction because I believe, I mean, if anybody's listened to me pre-draft, I believe that the Giants need to upgrade this interior offensive line with Shane Lemieux and Will Hernandez as their projected starters with Zach freaking Fulton as the guy who's challenging them. That's not something that should give anybody a warm and fuzzy feeling whatsoever. So I look at the Aaron Banks. I mean, you already nailed it. This guy's got tackle type of size and he's got the cleanest from a technical standpoint, but he 
executes. He gets to his assignment. He can climb to the second level on ace, deuce type blocks. So those are the kind of little things that I'm looking at. Can he succeed in combo blocks? Does he get to the second level despite the fact that he's gigantic? And he did. Did that at Notre Dame. So I really like Aaron Banks and Quinn Miners. I mean, I have an affinity for D3 prospects, but this guy can move. He's strong. He's stout. Low center of gravity. Handles counters well. Went down the senior bowl, not playing football for an entire year and took advantage, just took care of division one prospects, power five guys. And that's just not something you see all that often. So I really like the prospects of Quinn Miners being an NFL guy who can come in and kind of be like an Ali Marpet who came out of Hobart a couple of years ago, went down to the senior bowl and dominated. We also have Trey Smith in there. Trey Smith, somebody that I'm not as high on as others, but just the raw power and the pop in his hands are definitely going to attract NFL eyeballs. And I totally understand that. Just wish he played with a little bit more balance and didn't find himself on the ground as often. But he falls under that third round range as well. Yeah. And, you know, we see a lot of people talking about how the Giants have to draft an interior offensive lineman. They have to get it done early so they can uh, replace Kevin Zeitler. Well, I think this is really the sweet spot for those interior offensive linemen. I mean, yeah, Wyatt Davis is great. Elijah Vera Tucker is great. Creed Humphrey, uh, Landon Dickerson, those guys are all really good, but just bang for your buck. This is a, the third round is going to be a goldmine for interior offensive linemen because we also have Alex Leatherwood. This is where we have him rated, even though we evaluated him as a tackle, he's probably going to be a guard at the NFL level. And also Jackson Carmen out of Clemson. That's another guy. He's probably going to be a guard at the NFL level. They'll be athletic guards. They might not be able to play tackle at the NFL level, but they can definitely get guard done. And then, like you said, Aaron Banks, he is he is a lot of fun to watch just as a steady, shows up, play in, play out offensive lineman. And Quinn Miners, you know, again, you, you have to respect a guy who has the the self-confidence to rock a crop top at the senior <laughs> bowl as an offensive lineman. You know, it, it's one thing for Zeke Elliott to go around in a crop top or a wide receiver to have his shirt off, but offensive lineman, that is a confident man. And I got to say, uh, Joe is absolutely right about Ben Cleveland. He carries his weight exceedingly well. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to get to receivers very, very soon. Before we do, though, folks, we're just going to take a really short commercial break. So the receiver group hitting in the top 10, pretty clear cut. I don't think we need to to really go too deep on this, but Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, Devonta Smith, as most people would expect. We only had one first round grade outside of the top 10, that being Rashad Bateman. But that first second group is, I think, where you get an interesting crop and there's going to be some really good players selected in this range and the ones that we had, Elijah Moore, Rondell Moore, Terrace Marshall Jr., and Kadarius Toney. Three of these guys, to me, are gadget, explosive, very, very fast receivers that somebody is going to be excited about to draft in the end of the first round or the start of the second because they have that speed, they have that explosiveness. And then Terrace Marshall, as well, has increased his draft stock, and he's become a notable prospect separate from Jamar Chase because Chase didn't play this year. He was able to gain some recognition. So we've got a pretty good crop there in that first to second group. Right after them, Diami Brown from UNC, Amon Ross St. Brown, and then Nico Collins was the second round group. Yeah, the thing about, uh, I want to start with the, uh, first I want to start, I guess, with Rashad Bateman because, yeah, I know Minnesota had him listed at like 6'2", 210 pounds, and he ended up being six foot 190, but 
I mean, he really challenges Devonta Smith for being one of the and Jamar Chase and all those other top guys is just being possibly even close to better than they are at route running and getting off the line of scrimmage. I think he's going to be great in the quick game. Reminds me a little bit of a guy like Stefan Diggs because he's just very, very deliberate with how he runs his routes and how he kind of manipulates the defensive backs, how he eats up defensive backs leverage, attacks their leverage, and then is able to separate from them. So I really do like Rashad Bateman, but he falls into that first round because he's not necessarily a top 10. But he there, there would be a distance between him and these first second guys. Think about Terrace Marshall, Chris. I don't know if you just saw it, but Daniel Jeremiah said that there were some medical things that came up at the Combine that seem to be somewhat problematic for him. So that's definitely going to be an issue. And as for Elijah Moore, Rondell Moore, and Kadarius Tony, I see Rondell Moore and Kadarius Tony in a similar light to where they're like gadget type players. Elijah Moore, though, I, I I love Elijah Moore. I think Elijah Moore is going to be an absolute stud in the NFL who could slide into the slot, play some outside, but more of a slot guy. But he is such a crisp route runner, and he just knows how to, similar to Rashad Bateman, find ways to get open in man and zone coverage. I'm a huge Elijah Moore fan, whereas I see Rondell Moore and Kadarius Tony Moore as explosive type of threats where sometimes you have to design the offense to get the football in their in their hands. Elijah Moore, I see a little bit differently from those two. I just feel like he's the better overall receiver, maybe not as explosive as Rondell, but just as a receiver, all the nuances, I would go with Elijah. Yeah, I, I like that. <laughs> I like that uh, ranking. And I actually hadn't seen that yet about Terrace Marshall. And yeah, you know, that is interesting, and it will be interesting to see how that impacts his stock. I'm not terribly concerned about the fact that LSU had him in the slot basically all the time. Because I saw so, uh, off the top of my head, I cannot think of who it is. It might have been Josh Norris. Uh, said basically that was a trend in college football this year, where teams would just take their best receiver and line him up in the slot because you've got instant separation. They, can't, they really can't press you at the line of scrimmage at, at the slot because you're not on the line of scrimmage. So guys can get much, they can get clean releases more easily. <laughs> so when you have, you know, clearly your best available receiver in Terrace Marshall, put him in the slot, get him up on a probably smaller slot corner and let him go to work. You know, we saw uh, Devonta Smith play out of the slot quite a bit. And also Jalen Waddle was in the slot before his uh, ankle injury, which also speaking of the combine, we finally got a, some numbers on Devonta Smith who came in at uh, six foot and 166, which, you know, he said he was 170 and people were like, that's kind of light. You know, 166, that is a, I, I have to wonder if that could knock him out of the top 10, because I honestly wonder if he could physically add weight to his frame. And somebody who actually didn't even make the, the board because of some weight issues, uh, Tutu Atwell, we didn't even include him after seeing that he only weighed 149 pounds. We're, you know, we're concerned about the 166 for uh, Devonta Smith. He was able to dominate and still win a Heisman. There's still going to be question marks if, if that all translates over. Is he an exception? Does he Does he fit the criteria? But looking at our third and fourth round group, Tutu Atwell doesn't even make it in there on our list because you just can't play wide receiver in the NFL at 149 pounds, not to mention the fact that he's spent the past few months working with trainers and coaches that were probably talking to him about getting his weight up, walking him through what he was supposed to be eating, even providing meals for him. I seriously doubt his agent said to him, you'll be fine going to weigh in at the combine at 149. So something's clearly wrong there. I just... I think that that stands out to me as a, a bit of a negative that you're weighing 149 
post-draft process as a receiver, and we ended up putting some more talented guys over him, like Dwayne Eskridge, Seth Williams, Anthony Schwartz were some of the notable ones who stand out. Absolutely. And also, I mean, this is a deep wide receiver class similar to last year. So when you have all those red flags that Tutu Atwell possesses, I mean, guys like Tylen Wallace, Samari Rogers, he's battling those kind of guys for position on this board. And I mean, personally, Mari Rogers, he could play running back and give him the ball in the backfield. He's just a very versatile weapon, very low to the ground, strong, compact type of guy, excellent concentration and tracking ability. And then Tylen Wallace is one of the best contested catch receivers in college football last year. And the dude's like five foot 11, 190 pounds. It doesn't necessarily mesh with the size that he has, but he was awesome in the big 12. Granted it was the big 12. So I mean, two, two defense is optional there. Defense is very optional there for sure. But these other guys that we have on this list, and even in the fourth round, I mean, you look at Josh Palmer, Josh Palmer is another one who's just an excellent vertical threat. And he had played in Tennessee's offense. I mean, that's not the best offense. It's not going to unlock your potential. I think he could be a sneaky steal on day three. And then you have guys like Josh and as well kid from Illinois. He, to me, is more of just a straight nine route type of guy. Doesn't really have the nuance that Palmer does to run those digs and all the kind of inside breaking routes. But if you're looking for somebody to just run fast and leap over the top of corners and matter, baby, could be your guy. Yeah. And guys, we didn't even get to that. I like, you know, like uh, Shai Smith out of South Carolina, very similar to Amari Rogers, maybe doesn't quite have the same ceiling. He certainly didn't get the same kind of opportunities that Amari Rogers did playing with Trevor Lawrence, but yeah, the, he could be an interesting slot guy at a day three. And then also Austin Watkins Jr. Who's kind of become my guy at wide receiver, just a very interesting player out of UAB. He does have X size, but small school, the NFL will probably wait on him and maybe he might be a steal for some team. Like he took 149 pounds. Uh, I don't think that is a choice. Like you don't say, you know, what do I want to come in at uh, sub 150 for the NFL? No, that's because that's just how big you are. <laughs> so continuing on to our running back group, and this is one that I don't think we're going to spend as much time on. We're going to go a little bit deeper on the tight ends. The way that we shaped this out, no top 10, no first round guys. We had three first, second round players, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Javonta Williams, two in the second round category, Kenneth Gainwell, Michael Carter. Third round featured Chuba Hubbard, Trey Sermon, Khalil Herbert, Jamar Jefferson. And then the fourth round, Chris Evans, Ramadre Stevens, and Kylan Hill. Guys, is there one takeaway that you have from this running back group? Again, this wasn't really our primary focus because the Giants, frankly, are not really in need of a running back. They might take somebody in the fourth round earliest on this board, maybe third. We've seen crazier things happen. But you know, who stands out to you the way that we line them up? Right, we lined them up. I mean, guys like Khalil Herbert, Trey Sermon, Jamar Jefferson, they, they very well may fall. So we have them as third-round guys because they're talent, but they are running backs. And I could see a guy like Jamar Jefferson and Khalil Herbert being available on day three, which – that's where you kind of get into, okay, do the Giants spend that fourth round pick on a running back? I personally probably wouldn't. I think you can get somebody in like the sixth round that may be more uh, fitting for the Giants roster. Again, you have Devonta Booker, and obviously, hopefully, you're getting a healthy Saquon Barkley back. So, like you said, man, the running back position, it's uh, it's not too much to glean for the Giants. Yeah, if, if I just had to sum this class up in you know one or two words, it would be top-heavy. Yeah, I really like the first five guys on our list. Yeah, we can – you can more or less order the first three, however you want. Uh, Najah Harris, he's going to be a good every down running back. 
I, I really like Travis Etienne. I think he's more physical than a lot of people realize watching his game. He really likes to run behind his pads. And then Javante Williams, you know, he has ridiculous contact balance and he's going to be explosive at the NFL level. Michael Carter, his teammate, he is good as well. And Kenneth Gainwell is a guy people probably should be talking about a little bit more. After that, you know, like we've got third rounders, but any one of them could fall out of the third round. It's kind of almost a, you know, a dartboard at that point. Just throw your pick at a running back. You're going to get a guy who can help you, but probably won't be your starter. So wrapping us up with tight ends as the clock is ticking on us to, to wrap up our show here. We obviously have the, the top 10 player, Kyle Pitts, sitting in that top 10, probably going to get drafted highly by someone. Didn't hit anyone in the first round or first second. We went right to second round. Pat Fryermuth out of Penn State, Brevin Jordan out of Miami. Third round features two guys that could end up going in the second. Hunter Long out of Boston College, Tommy Tremble out of Notre Dame. And then our fourth rounders, Kenny Yaboa, Trey McKitty, Zach Davidson, Central Missouri tight end, and then uh, Tony Poljan, who is an interesting name to be aware of because of his positional background. So out of our tight ends, and I know Chris is going to bring up Kyle Pitts, uh, (laughs) who stood out in the ordering that we placed them? Honestly, I think this is a lot of consensus type of placement. Some people have Hunter Long and Tommy Tremble over someone like Brevin Jordan. Some people have Brevin Jordan over a Pat Fryermuth, but the tight end position similar to the running back position, similar to the quarterback position is it's, it's not overly sexy. You have Kyle Pitts, who is more of a wide receiver. And then Pat Fryermuth, he can be a solid blocker and he can also be an adequate, solid receiver as well. Big body. He's definitely somebody who may be worth a second round pick. And the Giants may be looking at a tight end because we don't have a lot of long-term fixtures at tight end right now with Evan Ingram on his last year and Kyle Rudolph signing a two-year deal and he's injured. And then you have Caden Smith. So I wouldn't be shocked if the Giants look at the tight end position. Yeah, me neither. But yeah, I would be I would be shocked if they looked at the tight end position probably before the third or fourth round. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I don't need to say it at this point that Kyle Pitts is a wide receiver, not a tight end. But we have him listed as a tight end, just so we'd had somebody up there. You know, I I think the the one guy who I honestly love watching, but have no idea where he is going to fall in the draft is Tommy Trumbull out of Notre Dame. Yeah. He was basically non-existent as a receiver in their offense. Like he he caught like three balls all last year, but he, he blocks better than a lot of the offensive tackles in this draft class. He is a fantastic blocker and he's, he's a really good athlete. Now the question I think a lot of NFL teams have to answer is, is Tommy Tremble another George Kittle or is he another Adrian Robinson where, yeah, he's a block, super athletic blocking tight end, but can he contribute anything in the passing game? So folks, that is how our big board offensively stacks up. We're going to do a defensive show as well. And then before you know it, it's going to be the NFL draft and we're going to have plenty of fantastic content coming your way. Come draft time, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review. Follow us on social media at Big Blue View. And also head to BigBlueView.com for more Giants news and analysis. Enjoy the rest of your week, folks. We'll talk to you soon.